Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on Paul's letter to the Philippians. The text for the sermon is taken from Philippians 4 and verse 4. And there the Apostle Paul writes these words, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Dear friends, there is very little true joy nowadays, also, sadly, in the Church of Christ. There's a lot of superficial joy, to be sure. In many churches today, especially so-called megachurches, you see a lot of people with their hands in the air or dancing in front of the stage as the praise band is playing, but that is not necessarily true joy. In many cases, people are simply getting caught up in the atmosphere. But there's little true joy. Now, what do I mean by that? What is true joy? Well, true joy is a joy that proceeds from the heart. It is a heartfelt joy. It is a joy that is wrought in the heart by the Holy Spirit. And I submit that there's very little of that kind of joy today. Now, there may be many reasons for that. Some find it hard to rejoice because they're going through a difficult time. Or they have gone through a difficult time. A sickness, a financial setback, the sudden death of a loved one. At such times, it's hard to be joyful. But did you know that the lack of joy is not an option for Christians? Christians not only may, but must rejoice. And he must do so always, meaning at all times and in all circumstances. And this is precisely what the Apostle Paul writes in our text. Philippians 4 verse 4, he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Unless we did not get it the first time, he adds, Again I say, rejoice. Now there's a close connection between the words of our text and the verses that precede it, verses 2 and 3. In those verses, Paul exhorts two prominent women of the congregation of Philippi, one woman by the name of Yodius and the other by the name of Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Apparently, these two sisters were at odds with each other. And what they were at odds about, we don't know, nor does it really matter. But it seems it was having a detrimental effect on the unity of the congregation. And Paul was aware of this. And so he urged them to be of the same mind in the Lord. And to help them in this, Paul enlisted the help of his true companion, probably Epaphroditus as well as the rest of his fellow workers, whose names, he says, are in the book of life. And as we saw the last time, the book of life is a metaphor for all of God's elect. And the fact that their names are written in this book implies that they can never be removed. So it's Paul's way of speaking about the perseverance of the saints. The doctrine that once God saves a sinner, that sinner will be saved. He cannot lose his salvation. Now, knowing this prompts Paul to write the words of our text. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, 
rejoice. So it's like Paul is saying, do you realize that your names are written in the book of life? Well, if so, rejoice. Now this is not the first time in this epistle that Paul commanded the Philippians to rejoice. The first time was back in chapter 3, verse 1. And there Paul writes, Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Exactly the same words. So two times in this epistle, Paul commands the Philippians to rejoice. Actually, three times. Because he repeats the command in our text for the sake of emphasis. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. So obviously, this is an important matter for the Apostle Paul. And ultimately, to God himself. Who through his Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write these words. Well, it's to these words that we turn our attention with the Lord's help. We do so under the theme, the believer's duty to rejoice reaffirmed. And we'll consider, first of all, the frequency of this duty, secondly, the sphere of this duty, and thirdly, the reason for this duty. Apostle Paul in our text commands the Philippians to rejoice. Rejoice, he says, in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Now, you'll notice right from the outset that this is not a suggestion, it's not a recommendation, it's a command. Paul commands believers to rejoice, to be joyful, to be glad. Now, why does he command this? Probably because the default mode of most people is not to rejoice, but rather to grumble and to complain. Just think about the people of Israel in the wilderness. No sooner did the Lord deliver them from slavery in Egypt than they began to grumble and complain. They grumbled and complained about the lack of water. They grumbled and complained about the lack of food. And when the Lord gave them manna, it didn't take them long. And they began to grumble and complain about that too. And they said that they were sick and tired of that manna. And dear friends, are we any different? You know, we're so blessed. We have the Word of God. We have a church. We have the freedom to come together and worship, at least for now. We live in a land of relative prosperity. We have homes to live in. We have cars to drive. We have clothes to wear and food to eat. And yet, how many times do we not also grumble and complain? This is no good, we say. That could be better. I want more of this. I want less of that. It's our sinful nature. Our sinful nature means that we are prone to grumble and complain. The Apostle Paul knew this, and that's why he commands us to rejoice. It's like Paul is saying, rather than grumble, rather than complain, I want you to rejoice. No, you must rejoice. But that's not all. Not only are we to rejoice, we are to do so at all times and in all circumstances. For notice what Paul writes here. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Now there's an intensification here. In chapter 3, verse 1, Paul simply commanded the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. But here in our text, he commands them to do so, not just once in a while, not just when they feel like it, not just when things are going their way, but always, under every circumstance. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. Yes, it's easy to rejoice when things are going well. But it's not so easy to rejoice 
when things are not going well. For example, when you're diagnosed with a serious or even terminal illness. Or when you suddenly lose a loved one under very tragic and sudden circumstances. Or when you lose your job or your business takes a financial hit. When you're stuck in an abusive relationship. When you have a son or a daughter who's living in rebellion against his or her parents. Under such circumstances, it's not easy to rejoice. Nor is it natural. Imagine rejoicing in any of the situations I've just mentioned. Nobody rejoices in situations like that. To do so would be strange and unnatural. Well, what then does Paul mean? Well, he means that even in your darkest and most painful circumstances, there should be, deep down inside, a joy. See, the joy of the believer in such times is like the ocean in a storm. On the surface of the ocean, there are waves and billows, but deep down below, there is a perfect calm that nothing and no one can disturb. Oh, my friend, is that true of you today? Do you know something of that kind of joy? This is what every believer should experience. In fact, this, should, this is what should characterize the experience of every believer. Every believer should know of this underlying joy. But maybe you say, well, how is that possible? How can one rejoice always? Well, that brings us to our second point. Paul doesn't merely command us to rejoice always. He commands us, you notice, to rejoice in the Lord. And by that he means, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul uses that phrase several times in his writings. For example, Paul enjoins children to obey their parents in the Lord. He also enjoins men and women to marry only in the Lord. Well, he uses that phrase here in our text as well. He commands the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. Now, Paul here is referring to the sphere of the believer's joy. The believer is to rejoice as he lives in union with Jesus Christ. In fact, it is only as we are united to Christ that we can rejoice at all times and in all circumstances. Allow me to explain. When a sinner believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, he becomes united to him through the Holy Spirit. Christ becomes his head and he becomes a member of his body. And the point that Paul is making is this. It is only as we are united to the Lord by a true and living faith that we can experience true joy in this life. Yes, even in the midst of the most painful and trying circumstances. Now, there are several illustrations of that very truth in the Scriptures. Think of Job. Job was one of the wealthiest men in the world. He had flocks and herds and children, but in a single day, God took it all away from him. And In the end, he allowed the devil even to take away his health. Now, how did Job respond to this? Well, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, And naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. And then he said this, Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
So beneath Job's overwhelming sorrow, there was a joy. There was a joy in the Lord. Job knew that no matter what was happening to him, he was in God's hands. God knew what he was doing. He had a plan in all of this, even though Job did not know what it was. And God was working it all out. Think too of Paul and Silas. When Paul and Silas were in Philippi, they were arrested, beaten, and thrown into prison. While they were there, the scriptures tell us that at midnight they sang and praised and they, they prayed and sang hymns to God. They say, how could they have done that? Well, because they knew that they were united to Christ. He was their Savior, and they were his people. And as such, they had nothing to fear. No matter how bad things got, he would look after them. He would care for them. He would never leave them, nor forsake them. And that's exactly what happened. For that night, an earthquake shook the doors of the prison open, and Paul and Silas were set free. One more example, the prophet Habakkuk. God told Habakkuk that one day he would send the Babylonians who would punish his people by carrying them away into captivity. And he would also send them other tribulations. And at the very end of his prophecy, Habakkuk writes these astounding words. He says, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk here envisions the most horrible circumstances imaginable to any agrarian society in ancient times. He envisions a complete collapse of agriculture. The fig tree not blossoming, no fruit are on the vines, no olives are on the olive trees, no flocks and herds are in the stalls. It's a catastrophe. And yet he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Now you say, how could he say that? Well, he could say that for the same reason that Paul and Silas could sing praises to God in prison. Because he knew that God was his God and he was his child. He was in the Lord. And therefore, no matter how bad things would get, he had nothing ultimately to fear, for God would look after him. He would never forsake him. And therefore, he rejoiced. One commentator writes this. He says, The joy of the Lord arises from leaving all our burdens at his feet, from believing that he has forgiven the past as absolutely as the tide obliterates children's writing in the sand, that nothing can come which he does not appoint or permit, that he is doing all things as wisely and kindly as possible, that in him we have been lifted out of the realm of sin, sorrow, and death into a realm of divine light and love, that we have already commenced the eternal life, and that before us forever there is a fellowship with him so rapturous and exalting that human language can only describe it as unspeakable. Another commentator says this, he says, The joy that characterizes the Christian life 
is not one that ignores the struggles of this world. Instead, it is experienced in the midst of those struggles as we experience the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ at work in our lives. The secret to a life of Christian contentment is not avoiding difficulties, but rather finding that Christ is sufficient for all that we need in the midst of those difficulties. When we as believers embrace this reality and live it out, we will discover that we are the richest people of all. My friend, what about you today? Do you know something of that joy? Are you one who rejoices in the Lord? You know, that's only possible if we are united to Christ by faith. Why? Because when we are united to Christ, we have everything we need. We have a Savior who loves us, who promises to strengthen us, and who will use whatever pain and affliction we experience in our lives to turn out to our advantage. And therefore, my friend, if you're not united to Christ, if you're not a Christian today, I urge you to seek him. Repent of your sins, believe the gospel, and you will be enabled to rejoice in him always, yes, even in the darkest moments of your life. And so Paul commands the believers to rejoice in the Lord. Now, why does he do that? That brings us to our third and final point. Although Paul doesn't explain why he commands the Philippians, and by extension all believers, to rejoice always, there are several possible reasons why he does so. First of all, he commands believers to rejoice because we have much to rejoice about. Yes, even in the midst of hardships and trials. For example, we have a God. We have in God, rather, a Father. A God who cares for us, who provides for us, who is in control of all things, and who has promised that whatever evil he sends upon us in this valley of tears, he will turn it out to our advantage. We also have in God a Savior who has died for our sins, reconciling us to God, giving us peace with God, enabling us to receive the gift of everlasting life. We also have in God a Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sins, who unites us to Christ, who applies to us all the benefits of Christ and who conforms us more and more to the image of Christ and who one day will raise us up to live and reign with Christ forever and ever and ever. In short, we have a God who meets all of our needs, our material needs and our spiritual needs. And for that reason, no matter how dark and how gloomy our path may be, we can and should rejoice always. Secondly, a second reason why Paul encourages us to rejoice is because rejoicing is the best cure for disunity. It's striking that the words of our text appear immediately after Paul's exhortation to Yodius and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, as we've already mentioned, these two women were at odds with each other. Because of their prominence, this was having a detrimental effect on the unity of the church. And as a result, Paul exhorts them to be of the same mind. And then after enlisting the help of his true companion and Clement and the rest of his fellow workers, Paul writes the words of our text, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. It's as though he was saying, rather than be at odds with each other, rejoice. Oh, how we need to remember that. Sometimes we too can be at odds with people. Our spouse, our children, our parents, a teacher at school, the government. And when that happens... We need to do what Paul tells us to do. We need to rejoice. We need to rejoice in the Lord. In fact, the more we rejoice in the Lord, the less we will be at odds with others. Charles Spurgeon writes this. 
It says, people who are very happy, especially those who are very happy in the Lord, are not apt either to give offense or to take offense. Their minds are so sweetly occupied with higher things that they are not easily distracted by the little troubles that naturally arise among such imperfect creatures as we are. Joy in the Lord is the cure for all discord. A third reason why we we should rejoice is because rejoicing is a foretaste of heaven. Yes, heaven is a place of rejoicing. Revelation 5, verse 8, we read that after the Lamb took the scroll out of the hand of him who sat on the throne, that the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, and they said, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And then John says that he heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And we read that every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I, he heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Yes, friends, heaven is a place of great rejoicing. And it's a rejoicing that goes on forever and ever to all eternity. When we rejoice, we get a foretaste of heaven. In fact, the more we rejoice, the more prepared for heaven we will be. Fourthly, rejoicing is a powerful witness to the world. There are many ways to witness to the world around us. We can and should live a godly life. We can and should speak to others about Christ, who he is and what he has done. But here's another way. We witness to the world around us when we rejoice. The world may not pay much attention to us when we share with them the gospel. They may even reject it and even try to silence us. But they will take notice when we rejoice, especially in times of trial and hardship. At such times, the world asks, well, why do these Christians act like that? How can they rejoice in the midst of such circumstances? What's the secret? And how can I be like that? The Bible doesn't say, but it's likely that the Holy Spirit used the singing of Paul and Silas in prison to prepare the heart of the jailer to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he can still do the same today. Rejoicing, especially in difficulties, can be a powerful form of evangelism. Well, these then are some possible reasons why Paul commands us to rejoice. But let me ask you as I close, are you rejoicing in the Lord? You know, the unbeliever cannot rejoice like this. The unbeliever's joy is tied to his circumstances. He rejoices only when things are going according to plan, when things are going his way, so to speak. But when things are not going according to plan, when things are not going his way, then like Job's wife, he becomes bitter and angry. But not so the believer. The believer rejoices always because he rejoices in the Lord who even in his darkest and most painful circumstances is always there and will never leave us 
nor forsake us. Now to be sure, as we've seen, this is not always easy, but it is possible in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I say to you, look to him. Keep your eyes fastened on him. He can enable you by his Holy Spirit to rejoice always by keeping your faith focused on the reward. That's what he did too, didn't he? In Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, the writer exhorts us to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who he says, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross. He despised the shame for the joy that was set before him. And what was that joy? Well, it was the joy of securing the redemption of all of his people by means of his suffering and death and seeing each one of them enter into his heavenly kingdom to that place that he has been preparing for them from all eternity and there to live and reign with him forever and ever. Yes, even in his suffering, Jesus rejoiced. On the surface, there was great distress and turmoil, but underneath, there was a calm, quiet joy in the Lord, a settled confidence that his Father would never leave him nor forsake him. And he is able and also willing to work this same joy in you, yes, even in your darkest trials, if you trust in him and stay focused on him. Will you do that? No, our joy will never be perfect in this life, but one day it will. For then we will see him on his throne, resplendent in divine honor and majesty. And seeing him, then we will rejoice in the Lord. Yes, and then it will be always, even to an everlasting eternity. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. And Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about this program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. That's www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed on your heart a desire to help us, to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, 
Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can visit the donation section of our webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Please remember that the Lord would have his people come together to worship him. And for that reason, we urge you not to use this or any other radio program as a substitute for being an active, contributing member of a faithful, Bible-believing church. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.